Maryland sports fans, there's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years experience booking bets and supporting customers. Betfred Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Betfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Longshot's Off-Track Betting. Go to BetfredSports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. The good news is therapy works. But what is therapy exactly? It's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help. Or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships or at work, not dealing well with stress. Whatever you need, it's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. And a special offer to I'ma Let You Finish listeners, you can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash I'ma let you, I-M-M-A-L-E-T-U. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com slash I'ma let you, I-M-M-A-L-E-T-U. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. What's up, everybody? It's I'ma Let You Finish, show number 120. And we have a guest with us today. It's Court and Amy. And today we have RJ Smith, a writer who has worked at The Village Voice that I need to talk all about. He's the biographer of the new Chuck Berry biography. He's written a history about the definitive, a definitive era in Black music in the 40s in Los Angeles. So many things. And he wrote for LA Weekly. We need to get into all of these things. And the James RJ. Brown, I love your James Brown book. Awesome. <laughs> I really do. And I have your Robert Frank book, but I haven't read it yet. It's that's crazy. all right. That's the one, that's the one to save her down the road. Okay, good. <laughs> I, I feel less more bad. RJ, it's very nice to meet you. Um, long time listener, first time caller, long time caller, first time listener, me yeah. with you. Uh-huh. I have read your work for years. Um, I'm, um, we have written for a lot of the same publications, except you've done it a lot better than I have. So kudos to you. Um, yeah, just like, let's talk about the village voice first. That's the the quintessential. When I start, when I wrote for the voice, I felt like a real writer. Like I felt like I'm finally a real writer. You know, you know, I, I, I came, I, I visited the voice from when I was in college. I, we, we got a car trip together and we went to New York and I saw, I saw Max's Kansas city and I walked into the voice and I just introduced myself to Robert Criscow, which was like, I'm still in therapy about that. And <laughs> you know, it, it, it was just, but, but you could, 
and and then like a year later or so, I was I was starting to write for The Voice, and I, you could walk down that hallway, you know, and you'd see Stanley Crouch and Gary Giddens and Nat Hentoff, and uh, I just tried to shut my mouth and listen to what everybody else was saying. Uh, yeah, it was a, it was a, just an amazing time. <laughs> what year were you? What years were you there? That was like eighty one to about ninety. Oh wow! So you were there like in the the. When they were on Cooper Cooper Union around there, yeah, that's well. Well, no, Union Square, yeah, Union Square. All right. Yeah. Can I just say, like, for New Yorker of a certain age and a certain generation, like the Village Voice was like the Bible to me. I was so young in those days, and I discovered so much through the Voice, and. I always knew the newsstand because, you know, certain newsstands got it really early. Aster, Aster Place always got it early. Tuesday evening because it came out on Wednesdays. And I knew where to go before I got back on the train to go home to Queens. And I was like, I need, it was like the hunt. I have to have my village voice. And I read it on the train home. How many jobs or apartments did you get from the voice, Courtney? How many jobs or apartments? No, Well, none, because I also worked at Tower, but that's how I knew when everybody was coming to town because, and and what movies to go see. Like when we would go to the Angelica and all of the small art house films, because all of those films would be in the voice. They had that great film section. And then in the back, you know, where all of the bands were coming, they had all of that in there. So it was just Mercury Lounge shows and all of the good stuff. I got my my first apartment in Brooklyn through the voice. Oh, there's so many bands. So many bands bands, that advertise in the back, you know. Yeah. All that stuff. And uh, meanwhile, inside that building, you know, it was this era of like uh, every day there was a new coalition forming and a new feud breaking out. You know, it was the culture brats versus the the city reporters. It was the the men versus the women. You know, every week I was in a different camp. It was very confusing to me, Uh, you know, but – and it was a time when you got just the most amazing hardcore uh, rectal edit. <laughs> I mean, you brought in a piece, and I remember the one of the first pieces I brought in. I, I, I Chris Gow was going through it line by line out loud. It was theater, and he said something, and I said, "Well, I thought you know, well, I did it that way, but I thought you would help me make it better." And he just looked at me like. That's not how it works here, son. <laughs> you gotta, <laughs> you've got to bring it in ready, and then we'll see what we can do to make it better. But uh, yeah, it was it was an amazing time. What do you remember? What one of your first music pieces was for them? I'll tell you what. I reviewed uh, early on. I reviewed a, a new Lou Reed album, maybe the Blue Mask. I forget. Oh, I love that record. And I made a point. I wanted to. Uh, I guess I was trying to establish myself and. In, in a way. And so I, I kind of like looked at it and, and kind of took a few shots at Lou around a, along the way. And, um, and Chris Gow just looked at it and he said, uh, RJ, listen, you're full of shit. You are really full of shit. And, and, and I see like Richard Goldstein's head pop up from his, from his cubicle. Okay. I'm, 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 I'm full of shit. Uh, I'm going to let you publish this, but I want you to know you're full of shit about this. And that was the voice. I don't agree with you, but uh, you so know we're going to publish it anyway. Yeah, I remember. I this has got uh, just Chris Gow. We we were um, both up for this 
you probably were there too. They they brought in every writer who had a pulse. This TV show in, in Minneapolis that Request Magazine was sort of working on. And so they flew us out there and blah, blah, blah. And I remember Chris Cow wanted to get home really quickly because he really missed his kid. And he looked at me and goes, don't you miss your kid? And I went, uh, no, I'm on a per diem. I'm staying in a hotel <laughs> and I can drink. I'm having a fucking blast. <laughs> yeah. But thanks for asking, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> so I want I want to talk about um the 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 great black way. What inspired that? What how'd you come up with the idea? Were you listening to music and you were like, "Oh, this needs to be a book." What happened? Yeah. You know, I mean, like when I lived in New York, if you wanted to read a book about 125th Street, there was a library shelf full of books. Uh, oral histories, scrapbooks, so much material, not enough material, but a lot of material. Uh, the history, the, the lore. Come to L.A., I'm here in the 90s, and I want to read that book about Central Avenue, which is roughly L.A.'s 125th Street. And there wasn't there wasn't a book at the time, not a single book, not, a, not an academic tome. There was some great oral histories being assembled. But so I just did that thing of deciding to write a book that I wanted to read. And, you know, it's the rare time in my life, uh, so many times uh, interviewing so many celebrities or politicos or whoever, where you really have to throw down and make a case to get people to, uh, to talk to you as a, as a reporter. But, mm-hmm. you know, to, to knock on doors, you know, in South Central L.A. to find an old saxophone player or a comic, a, a filmmaker – these people have been waiting for somebody to ask them these questions for decades. Wow. Yeah. And so it was just the rare thing by and large where like, you know, you got that grievous look of where have you been? What took you so long? But, uh, you know, people were just spilling their stories out and it was just a wonderful experience. There was no kind of resistance in terms of why you and why, or they would, you know, I mean, I mean, uh, on, on, clearly there was. And the more I talked to people, and if I came back a third and a fourth time, the, the stories got better every time. Uh, the trust got a little bit deeper maybe every time. Uh, some of the stuff so, – so, yeah, that's definitely – that's always the case. And I, you know, I try to represent as a – obviously as an outsider uh, who's interested and maybe knows some of the touchstones, but I'm also – uh, making it clear, I, I'm looking for a guide to walk me down the street, and, and so I don't get hit by traffic. <laughs> I think that's always like because uh, you know, not, I'm not comparing my career to, but as somebody, you know, a white person uh, who wrote a lot about black music, you have to really be careful of like I respect the culture, but I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to pretend this is my experience. And I think the danger people get into is they think that they're down just because they're hanging out with a bunch of artists, you know? And it's like, I mean, that's why I've always, what I love about your books is that the respect is there, but you're not pretending to be something that you're not, you know, I think you're a writer, you know, the older I get, the whiter I get. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I think that comes out when I'm approaching people and uh, yeah, no, I, I, it, it's, it's this, the relationships change and the, the dynamic between interviewer and interviewee keeps changing and it's more complicated. Uh, and yeah, it's a lot to navigate. Let me, I want to read a quote 
from I'm not going to lie to you, RJ. I didn't finish the book <laughs> I, because I am of the age where when I lie down and start reading three pages and I'm passed out and I don't ride the train as I never realized how much I rode on the train until lockdown. Yep. Right. And then I was like, oh, God, I did most of my reading on the train. So I don't ride the train as much. So I have, and if it hadn't been the fact that I got into this like fight with a student, I would have been able to finish it. But I want to read this line because this line just jumped out at me. Chuck Berry was an African-American astronaut on an extended solo flight to violate established practices in business, culture, social mores, and laws. He was putting everything on the line. It was confusing to those around him, and he doesn't seem to have tried to explain it, maybe not even to himself, but he was just getting comfortable. I African American oh. astronaut, no. go please <laughs> love it, love it. And you're writing about Chuck Berry like right before he explodes, basically. Yeah. It's like yeah. right when Maybelline has come out when he's done Maybelline, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know, he just he was not a joiner. He was like a movement of one person. And I think not being a joiner was his strength and his weakness. Uh, other things were his weakness and his strengths too. But, uh, you know, he, he believed in stuff and he saw stuff and he wanted to bring people together and shake up lives, shake up his own life. Uh, and uh, he was not afraid. He took a lot. Well, as, as we know, you know, he, all kinds of ways he paid a price uh, for stuff he didn't do. He didn't pay a price for some of the stuff he did do. Uh, it's all tied together. Right. What way did you want to write about him? Because he's somebody, you know, my only my my exposure to him, obviously, is through the music. But the only time I've ever really seen him is in the is in the Hail, Hail Rock and Roll movie. The And he does not come off nice in that movie. (laughs) Do you know that movie, Courtney? It's what Taylor has. I do. Yeah, I do know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He does. He does not come off like a a good a, a good kind of guy in that movie. He's not a jolly. I mean, but but what's cool is that you really see also or a lot of sides to him. You see Chuck demanding money for you know to stand in front of the camera. You see people telling stories about Chuck that are obviously true and that aren't edited out about, you see him coming to blows, almost coming to blows with Keith Richards. Uh, and, and so you get a great sense of the person uh, as well as the musician. Uh, yeah, he was, uh, yeah, that, 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 that why, why I wanted to do it. Um, you know, because that music isn't dead to me and, and it's, I wanted to see what still, what makes it tick now. And I wanted to describe, him and to put him before uh, a new audience of, of readers and listeners whose, whose whose music that they love has been shaped by him, even if they don't know him. Uh, and you know, in, in a time when we're talking about uh, all kinds of artists and creative people, uh, and and looking at uh, the 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 trail they left behind that isn't so uh, pleasant, uh, you know, we're talking about putting together. The complicated picture on artists that 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 interested me too. Uh, finding a way to talk about Chuck Berry, you know, in the age of Me Too, in the age of Black Lives Matter, uh, to bring him to life in our time, uh, it seemed it seemed worth doing. Do you think that he? I mean, we're music people, so obviously we know his worth. But I, I, do you really? Do you think the average person really? knows his impact knows that every time you I hear like a guitar that, riff I, yeah a it's guitar almost like, riff get, and it's him feel like he actually gets his due in the pantheon of 
of music. You know, I yeah. I think that people talk about him when they talk about the beginnings of rock and roll in in a way where they just say his name because they feel like they know they're supposed to, but they don't really know. If you ask somebody to really dig into anything about him, I don't think people really know much about Chuck. Yeah, uh, I think that's true. I think that uh, his his the, the the shadow that he created and the influence he's had on people is huge and ongoing. But it's also um, it's outlasted him in, in in certain ways, and people don't know his story. And his story is not uh, always pleasant or fun and it doesn't always fit into uh, a, 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 a digestible um, rock star you, you can talk about not easily but one could talk about all kinds of you know, Elvis uh, say or or you know or Jerry Lee Jerry even Jerry Lee right you can talk about him as a rock star and he's forgiven for all kinds of things that uh, there isn't room to forgive Chuck for. So he's kind now of why like, is that? Well, Jerry Lee never put why her in a that? car and drove her across state lines. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he, wow. he married well, the girl. Race, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, but I'm saying he had the he had the good sense to marry the girl before he did statutory rape. You know. <laughs> oh goodness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. The fifties were a wild fucking time. You could get away yeah. with a lot of shit. You really there was no, there was nobody to tell on it. Yeah, you could right. get away with so. But people got married so young back then too that it seems strange, but not always strange. Even though in today's terms you think of it, it's super strange, and it was. But yeah, it's it's like it, it's the interesting story of our legends that people really love or people too. And when you dig in, you do find all the flaws and all. And that's why it's really good that you, you've, you've written this book because I do believe you have to learn about the foundations of everything and, and of black music and rock and roll. He really is a very important player in that oh. moment of time. And I think it's important to keep that legacy alive and for people to have a definitive book to go to that kind of gives you the warts and all story of someone because the complete picture is what it is. You know what I mean? And I believe history should be told how it is warts and all. (laughs) Well, yeah, you know, I mean, and we talk about, if we talk about rock and roll, you know, you hear people say, I've heard people say, well, you know, gosh, Chuck was doing great. And then the rock and roll era came along and he just lost his way it's he like, was the no. rock and roll era. He was right. exactly. <laughs> Wait a minute. Who, who, who are these asshats who are saying that? I mean, he you is. Know? I mean, he. Oh, oh, sorry. Take sip of coffee. <laughs> <Yeah>. Sorry. <laughs> no, I mean that's it. I mean it's it's people. You know, and it's people who who came to it through the Beatles or the Stones or Nirvana oh, okay. or or MTV by and large. All, all those things to some degree. Um, but but yeah, I mean it wouldn't exist. In its form, or hardly at all, I would argue, without Chuck more than anybody else, because he well, had Chuck, to, yeah, ahead. the riffs are. I mean, the rock and roll riff. If we were to think of like what a classic rock and roll riff is, is a Chuck Berry riff. I mean, I mean, it really is. It's a Bo Diddley riff or Chuck Berry riff, and unfortunately, they could not 
copyright either one, you know, because in today's age, they would be getting sample. They would be, you know, someone would have to pay them. But I mean, those first, what, three or four Stones records, those are Chuck Berry records, but with, you know, a a guy, another guy singing or something like that. And they had, but they would cop to that though. I mean, none of these guys would say, oh, no, 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 we came up with this all on our own, right? Well, I mean, in Britain, definitely, those guys were really pretty good at giving credit, you know, giving interviews and praising the man, you know, praising Little Richard. Uh, but it didn't, in, in a way, it, it almost made it worse for Chuck, I think, because uh, <laughs> he had a hard time feeling the love, feeling the praise from fans, from from people like the Beatles. Uh, and, and he, at the end of the day... Still, he saw them take his music places that he couldn't take his music, places that weren't even open for him to go anymore, if they ever were. And uh, he he never got past that. So it, it made it complicated and he made him kind of bitter going forward. Um, I mean, it's right. understandable, right? I mean, it's totally understandable if you see somebody getting the not just the credit, but the money. I mean, let's be you know blunt. I mean for yeah. something that you did, but it's how do you prove you invented it? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and how many times, you know, even, even when the Beatles in the interviews would say, well, we, we, we learned this from Chuck Berry and so-and-so and so-and-so at the end of the day, the fans listen to the Beatles. They're not necessarily going back to Chuck Berry. <laughs> you know, they're going to the forward with uh, the, the Hollies and the Rolling Stones and the Kinks. Right. What was his financial shape when he, when he passed away? Did he, did he die with money? He did okay. He he did way better than than say Bo Diddley or you know Muddy Waters. He he did way better. Uh, he didn't get nearly all of what he was supposed to get and should have got. He got better and sharper going forward after his first few years. But uh, he was in all ways as a songwriter, as an artist, as a businessman. He was pretty smart. He was really smart as a businessman. Oh, good. Yeah, did he, he have his publishing? I mean, or did Chess have most of his publishing? Over time, he got it back. He, he he didn't have it at first. He didn't know the importance of it. They didn't do. They didn't want the artist to know the importance of it, of course. Right. Uh, and over time, he got a he got William Krasilovsky, who is the great uh, lawyer from the seventies, who who got him that money back as as well as he could over time. One so, the is three, there an estate? I'm sorry. Is there is there an estate that that uh, that controls the image and the publishing still? And and yeah, yeah. There's there's a son. There's a family. There's children. His wife, his widow, is still here, still alive. And uh, so they're all part of the estate. Uh, you know, there's property that the estate owns. They, okay, great. Yeah. So is there th- unreleased stuff? Is there anything like where there's stuff that like has been in the vaults forever and like will come out or is it like one of those situations where they might take it and, and put somebody else, you know, like take like yeah. a, from the grave kind of recording or something. Wow. That would be awesome. I've never heard any good stories about. Brandy Carlisle's really good with resurrecting careers. I've heard. I mean, she's <laughs> discovered everybody. She's oh amazing. <laughs> she's amazing. I, I never heard of Joni Mitchell until Brandy Carlisle came around. Right. I mean, bless her heart. She's a saint. You know, one of the saddest uh, things about Chuck Berry is, other than you know that he was a pervert and right? whatever. <laughs> but oh, big pish tish. The saddest thing is that there's a whole bunch of people who think that he's my ding a ling. 
Oh my God! Well, that's where I come in. That's okay. See, right. This is, this is uh, I. I was born in '59. Uh, Me started, too. When's okay, your birthday? You When's know, your birthday? Uh, May May twentieth. Ah, May fifteenth. Oh my God! Oh my God! Well, you know. Right. And our and our mutual boyfriend Barney Hoskins is May fifth, oh. same year. Oh. That's why we all get along so good. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> Yeah. So, I, I mean, I'm listening to AM radio in in 72 and I'm hearing that song and Ugh. giggling, you know, I, and yeah. and barely knowing what my dingling is, let alone what Chuck Berry's dingling is. <laughs> right. This is a lot more interesting. And, uh, you know, and then there was this movie uh, before Hail Hail Rock and Roll, a little bit later in the 70s, this like Golden Oldies tour movie, uh, like a live documentary thing called uh, Let the Good Times Roll. And, and Chuck is the headliner of a, I think Jerry Lee is on the bill and Fats Domino and some others. Uh, it's a pretty good movie. But I watched Chuck in that movie and, uh, yeah, it was like, wow, that's what rock and roll is. And I'm hearing, you know, the Bob Seger I was listening to on the radio or uh, the watered down versions coming from, from the Rolling Stones or whatever. But there it was in, in its unabashed form. So. It was a lot to process. I'm still processing it. How did uh, that song ever make it through, considering that <laughs> – I mean, I know people are stupid, but, I mean, not for nothing. The guy had been, like, jailed for statutory rape. There were all sorts of – even in pre-social media, and he's putting out a song about his pee-pee? But that if makes- you think about it, back then, <laughs> it wasn't as uptight as it is now. Now everything is like, a, oh, my God, people clutch the pearls. Back then, it was kind of like you you got a lick. Listen, I you watch the old Law and Order, so like season one, two, oh, yeah, and three, my God. and you're like, oh my god, you're like, what? I don't think you could portray like people like this <laughs> right. anymore without yeah, people getting upset. And the shit that came out of their mouths, it was just kind of like, I just don't think NBC would be giving you this at eight p.m. Yeah, on a Thursday yeah you couldn't night slap like the, you couldn't slap the suspects the way they used to do back. I then. mean, all of the things. So it's just, I th- it was a different time where you know, yeah. Yeah, I, and and I think like they've got those seven words you can't say, but you know, dingling isn't one of them, and right. they, they hadn't they hadn't planned for that for that contingency. Uh, and here's a whole song, and suddenly it's the number one song in the country. Uh, <laughs> Chuck Berry's only number one record, and they they didn't they didn't plan on that. So you know, Vernon Reed in the book he talks about uh, talks about it as a subversive act. You know, like like that that people liked it for that reason. It was naughty and embarrassing how joyful people could feel about that, maybe. But also that it was sort of like in the pre-punk rock era, it was a way of being um, uh, outside boundaries or something. Just not very well, interesting boundaries. Well, especially, I guess, if you take into context who he was i mean it kind of like kind of it it was in a lot of ways a kind of wink wink nudge nudge like i know you know that i know you know and now i'm going to do a song about exactly what you think i am yeah you know and most people i guess you know didn't um i just want to shift really fast to james brown for a second since you since you seem to have a theme of of troubled geniuses um (laughs) (laughs) did you you'd seen james brown perform before um, I had, yes. Um, back in, like, how, when, oh, when did like, you get to- Like in the 80s and- When he was yeah. kind of doing the living in America yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Did, you didn't, so you, did you get a chance to interview him at all, or- No, no, ne- never interviewed the man. Uh, started the project after he'd passed. 
And uh, it would be a very different book if I had tried to write it while he was still alive, I think. It would have been a much harder book to uh, ever see the light of day because that's a know. great book. I have oh, a well, my James. J- well, you want to hear my James Brown story? It's really good. Of course. Okay, I'll Ooh. tell it anyway. All right, so I'm a young <laughs> punk rocker Ooh. and he's playing San Francisco. He's going to be playing San Quentin Prison. Oh. Which you know it's San- yeah, exactly. And so uh, I don't know how I got invited to go, but I go to the press conference and he he sees me there and uh, I bring my copy of the King Heroin record because of course I do. And he puts his <laughs> arm around me and he says, youth are the future of America. And then I get invited to the show and we weren't allowed to, we were told don't wear any makeup. Don't wear blue jeans. Look as physically unattractive as humanly possible. Really? Uh, because, yes. Cause we were women going into a maximum security prison and we couldn't uh... wear jeans. You know, because God forbid I find like a jailhouse husband or something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, no makeup, nothing tight, nothing, whatever. But anyway, we go there and it was, I have to tell you, it was one of the most surreal experiences of my life because the show was all black and Hispanic. And as we walked in, white inmates were screaming at us, mm, lover. Um, and they were mm. guards. Like they were literally like playing to a captive. They were guys with like. AR whatever rifles were patrolling the top of the thing. It was a phenomenal show. Oh it my was phenomenal. God. And he had the women coming out, but it was like, wow. yeah. seriously, like the first yeah. and only time I've been to a prison and I started with San Quentin. Um, but yeah. And didn't but come out was, with a date? I mean, listen. I know. <laughs> a little attempted well, they, murder never killed anybody. I know, you know but Courtney, I mean? they branded me an in lover before I oh. got there. So that wiped out mm. half of my potential dating. <laughs> and you know, plus I had a boyfriend, Courtney. Mm, okay. I had a yeah. boyfriend back then. Oh, no, but it was just right. a phenomenal show. But he was another one that was like a piece of work. Yeah, yeah, and they're they're super different. I mean, like, you know, everybody that I talked to that was ever in an elevator, right, with 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 James Brown, you got out of that elevator and you had a story to tell from that five <laughs> minutes you shared. But you could be in a band with Chuck for five years and and not have a story that you could tell or would tell, because uh, you just didn't feel necessarily like you knew the guy. It, 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 if he didn't want to show himself to you, he never did. So he was much more private and. Uh, yeah, so so very different people, but uh, do you think uh, there's? Do you know why? Do you have any insight as to? Because there is. It's funny you say that because there is, and I think this is getting back to what Courtney was saying about the recognition. There's no persona. I mean, the only persona or image we have of Chuck Berry is him doing the duck walk, right? I mean, I always think about is how he looks. His looks. image is really based on his hair. <laughs> The guitar the and how he looks versus any sort of personality, or even when you think about music, right? There's not that definitive album that people talk about when they talk about Chuck Berry. You can go through a or lot his of artists. Voice. And you go through a I don't even know what he it's, sounds it's, like talking. He really you know, like, does seem like a giant mystery for someone who's very yeah. big, has a big part in the role of the beginning of rock and roll and rockabilly and all of these things. He still yeah. is like. A mystery, which is why it's amazing that you've written this book because that here are some answers to some of this. Because I do believe that he is someone that most people still don't know. They know who he is. You hear the name, of course, you know the name, right? At, like yeah. me, who knows so much about music. If you ask me anything about Chuck Berry, I'm kind of like, I 
I yeah, no me idea. neither. I, I, I knew that. I know the hair. I know the mm-hmm. mustache, and I know the the look. I know the whole kind of look. Yeah, and and that's it. I, and the music, obviously, but I know nothing about him in terms of. I mean, other than the scandal stuff. But and I love to hear that he was smart and that he did not die broke because a lot of artists from that generation were ripped off, didn't own their music. And I love to hear why, that some of these pioneers absolutely understood business early on. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like you look at the Stevie Wonders of the world, like he understood business when he became an Curtis early Mayfield, on, you know? people like that. I, and yeah. I think of somebody and I think about a lot of black comedians like Flip Wilson. Flip Wilson died a wealthy man still living in Malibu. You know what I mean? Oh, he wow. he owned him. his he owns his show and those things. He business, you know what I mean? So I love to hear the stories of of people who you know have complicated lives. But the money part always comes in with, with a lot of these folks, and then their end is always so tragic. So it's great yeah. to hear that there is an estate, and the estate owns property, and that means they're managing it, and you never hear about them. I hate to hear about estate fighting shit. I'm like, like the prince estate. I'm like, get it together. Yeah. Get it yeah. together. <laughs> No, Get it together. Even, none of you had any had money. <laughs> and my thing is, none of you had a fucking dime. So get it together. There's yeah. no need for everyone to be fighting, thinking I should have, I should get it the fuck together. You know, well, speaking of Prince. Fr- yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, no, I was go, just going to say, you're making me think, uh, I mean, Chuck, uh, of course, uh, you know, Chuck had this thing called Barry Park. And it's like Perry. Mm-hmm. It's like it was the original Paisley Park in a way. Mm-hmm. He wanted it was like a country club. It was going to be like an amusement park. It was a place for picnics, interracial. You know, it was in the late fifties. He he bought acres in in rural Missouri, and it was going to be a place for all folks to to hear shows and to have picnics and whatnot. Uh, I was for creative types to come together and, and record. There was a recording studio. Wow. So he was like doing this thing. That that Prince picked up on and, and made did much better for lots of reasons I think, um, mm-hmm. you know. But he, so he had this vision and he had some money to make the vision happen. Uh, he, he he opened a club in in St. Louis in the mid to late fifties in the late fifties, uh, the rare integrated club in in St. Louis, maybe the mm-hmm. second one going on in like fifty eight fifty nine. Uh, both these things get shut down. Uh, by the law, also because Chuck was in prison shortly after that. So um, yeah, he had these great ideas and, and and the money to make them happen. And that's part of the story too is uh, the, the the hard the hard facts of what how white America treated him. I think in some, I mean, I wonder now we were talking about what Courtney was saying in in terms of not really knowing who he was, and yet maybe in a way keeping people distance from you is a way to protect your legacy and protect your money and make sure it's like, this is, I'm the performer, but you're not going to get to know me because then you could, then you could exploit me, you know, like I'm just going to keep it like, you know, keep them separated, the, the, the performer and the person, you know, I mean, or maybe I'm giving him, you know, I just, the way it's a way of reading it. Listen, I have, I have worked with performers that, you know, they, they absolutely have the front facing who you guys all see and, and, and everybody's projected all kinds of personalities onto. And then the real person. And it's like, if you become super famous, you almost have to 
have a parallel lives, the one that's kind of over here, and you're dealing with your family and all of those things, then you go to work and you put on your work thing, right? And that means sometimes not getting as close to people that you may have worked with for years. There are people who work people for years and they're like, I don't really know them because it's always a professional relationship. I have no problem with that either. You know, it's no, no problem. No, but he like, had to he protect. Came to work. Well, there's yeah. a lot of things he had to protect, right? Because well, that's you're, what I'm if saying. You're He's a black a man, way, black yeah, man absolutely. in the Midwest who's got a who's already on the radar of law and order because of his predilection for girls. You know, mind you, rock rock guys are doing the same thing. Right. But he just, right. you know, literally got nailed doing it, you know, yep. and that's why he went to jail. Right. Was for the violating the man act. It's it's a it's a complicated story. But, yes, he, he went to jail for violating this this law that's still on the books of federal law. It, it, it basically what it said was if you cr- cross state lines, it was targeting it targeted black men uh, who were with white women in hotel rooms or in bedrooms across state lines. Uh, and so he it's was so specific. It's so specific. And the, and the law literally says that the crime is if you cross state lines for immoral purposes, quote unquote, you know, <laughs> it, it, it can't even spill the beans on what that would really mean. So like basically if you're white, if I'm dating a black guy and we drove to Jersey, he could get picked up. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. So Note to self. <laughs> so what, what he didn't go to prison for was for, uh, picking up a 14 year old native American girl and, and, and having sex with her, promising her a job in his nightclub in St. Louis in the late fifties, getting tired of her when they got to St. Louis and buying her a bus ticket and saying, see you later. Uh, that's the part that um, is also part of the story. Uh, right. So <laughs> victim and victimizer. But that's so weird. So, I mean, it was, so it was because she was 14. It was because she was underage or because she wasn't black because she wasn't, because he was black and she was not black. I'm, well, uh, the law. I'm just curious. The law. Yeah. I always thought the law was is like if just bringing a minor oh. across state lines. For yeah, but I don't think he was oh. saying that this oh. is related oh. to that story. I think these yeah. are two different yeah. stories. So, so, like the law just says, uh, just says uh, crossing the state lines uh, with with uh, a man and a woman for immoral acts, and if there's some money involved, uh, okay. that that helps. It helps prosecute. <laughs> Uh, right. But the fact that she was a minor, they, they didn't treat her in court like the victim. And she was, in fact, uh, put in an institution during the course of the trial while Chuck was on bail. So so she was in prison. She was in uh, behind a wall while Chuck was still in freedom. Uh, wow. So and the judge, didn't, the, the first judge didn't know how to handle the trial because he, he looked at her and he saw this a Native American girl and 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 he was just like well he literally all but says well, I don't care about that but what I care about is this black man who's clearly a bad guy so let's just focus on that it's it's what yeah. did it do to his career I mean it just stopped it short at that point yeah it, it stopped it short and he's in prison for three year sentence he serves a year and a half and in that time. You know, the Beach Boys come out with a song that's a total rewrite of a Chuck Berry song. Uh, he, I can only imagine he's working in a in the hospital, uh, the prison hospital, and that, that maybe he turned the radio on and he hears a Beatles song, right, or a Rolling Stones song or something. Uh, and what he must have thought. He wrote some of his best songs while he was in prison, uh, and then and they came out in the next few years. Um, but it, it stopped his career cold in a lot of ways. You have a favorite song of it? I mean, that's like picking your favorite. 
kid, which is why we should only have one kid each. So we don't have to <laughs> worry about that. But do you have a, is there a song of his that really, to um, you, if someone said the quintessential Chuck Berry song? Well, I, I guess I, I'm kind of partial to this one called Let It Rock. It's just really simple. It's, it's, it's sort of a John Henry story. Uh, he's working on the railroad. Uh, for some reason, there's a teepee built on the railroad tracks. Just that's what it is. Uh, a train is coming. So there's, 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 in, in, there's something indigenous. There's something African-American. This force is coming and boom, here comes <laughs> the train is going to knock it all down. Hey, he was really subversive. When you think about it, I mean, brown eyed, handsome man is a super subversive song. And yeah. and what you point out in the book about what him saying is it in Nadine where he says Southern diplomat when he actually really means Southern Democrat. Yeah, I mean, I mean he oh. snuck the stuff in there, you know. He, he was he was speaking on various levels from the start, no question. And and um, uh, you, you know, speaking in code to different audiences at the same time, he wants the largest possible audience. He, he's using references uh, in the song "The Promised Land." Uh, you, you can pick up resonances of the civil rights movement in that song. Yeah, there's there's so much going on in, in those words that if you don't want to listen to it, you can just dig it as a, as a, as a great piece of rhythm and music. But the more you listen, the more you can hear. Was he politically active at all in terms of like the civil rights movement or any of that? I mean, he's coming. You know, you know, James Brown was like you know involved in some ways. Obviously, Curtis Mayfield and Stevie Wonder. Was he active at all or voice any kind of political opinion at all? In the lyrics beneath the surface, there are definitely political opinions, uh, but he wasn't a joiner. He never gave a statement uh, about the, the civil rights movement. He, uh, I don't know that he was even asked that much. I've never seen that question posed to him in interviews. Um, but he, you know, he was a capitalist and he believed uh, opening his club, opening Barry Park, creating integration that way was, was the way forward that, that he could affect. Uh, and and he, he left it at that. And so there's a gap between him and the next generation, uh, you know, whether it's Curtis Mayfield, or, you know, I'm told he felt really happy and said he was happy when Obama was elected. And that, okay. of course, makes sense. But uh, he didn't he didn't share his political opinions. Okay. Court, we, we were um, we always do a thing where we um, well, first of all. Um, is there, this sounds like so corny, but is there like a book in mind now that you've, are you going to continue sort of in this vein or do you want to go uh, into a sort of different um, avenue? God, Not I, avenue. I, yeah. That's no, a no. wrong word. Avenue is the wrong <laughs> word, but. I mean, I want to keep writing. I got to pick the, pick the uh, projects carefully nowadays. Cause you know, how many more am I going to get? Uh you don't get as many as you want for crying out loud. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, a, I'm, so, did I, I'm so glad listen, I'm here. Thank no, you. No, you really will. First off, did I mention uh, that I'm like getting into fistfights online with students? You will get whatever you want, RJ, because you're a really good writer. That's so awesome. hush your bazoo. All right. All right. There well, will be no fault there will be no false begging for attention on this show, except from me and Courtney. But I but I want to do something really different. Maybe not another biography, maybe another one, but uh but just something really different that's challenging. I've thought about writing a novel. Um, you know, I, I don't know. What, what, what books do you think need to be written? <laughs> Tell me something you want to read that you haven't seen. About black music? About anything. Uh, nonfiction, though. I would love to see. It just occurred to me because every year I fight to get her in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. A Shaka Khan book would be killer. Oh. 
Yeah. And if you write one, give me credit. <laughs> well, since I noticed in the, I noticed in, I noticed in the introduction you thanked every human being in the world that writes, except for me. <laughs> but that's okay. It's all right because we didn't know each other. So next oh my time, God. well, let's work right. on a Shaka Khan book together. And- no, I think a Shaka Khan thing would be amazing, and and she might. I just think because she's another one. I mean, I love her, and every year, like Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I beg and beg about. But I think she's someone that is so present in our lives, but we know nothing about her either. And I think she's very alive. Would be like, I don't want to fucking very book alive. about me for some well, there's reason. That. I have well, a there's feeling that. she would not <laughs> yeah. be like. Oh, yes. I want you to go back and dig and tell, because there is a story motherfucking there. You know what I mean? And I'm pretty sure she's not like, yes, please. Let's go dig all of that up. (laughs) That's why you have to make them unauthorized. You have to do, Mm -hmm. you have to do the. uh, No, you you remember what happened with David Ritz with Aretha, right? When he wrote the first Aretha book. Oh, yeah. And sent it and she was like, yeah, no. And. They edited yeah. it out, and then he released his own version, and she never spoke it to him again because he was like, "I want to yeah. tell the real story." Yeah, that book yeah, didn't no, do I, very well. That's just no, it didn't you know. because who you want to read it with the dish? Yeah, you know. I mean, you do want to read. I mean, it's a horrible thing to say, but when you read a book that's like a serious examination of someone's life, and you're going, "Who did they fuck? Who did they fuck?" <laughs> <laughs> or there's what whole drugs? sections what where drugs? you know what drugs were they doing? What drugs were they doing? Come on, listen, I mean, because you know real. the thing is, Aretha's story was is just way so there's there's so Messy. many. Th- she wasn't trying to have that moment for real. No. They could know? do a whole book just on that funeral. <laughs> the funeral alone would be a book. That I funeral mean, was like I have. I mean, geez, Louis. I watched that 19 hour funeral. Too. I Me saw too. everything. Ariana Grande in a cocktail Ariana. dress. Yeah, was there was a like, lot. Was there like, was a lot. What is happening? Really? You know, how many more times can Al Sharpton insert himself oh, into God. something? So well, we things. always talk. What kind of stuff are you listening to these days? Oh, man, that's a great question. I've been listening to uh, lots of kind of droning uh <laughs> you know, I'm still in that pandemic mode of looking for music to, to soothe and uh, uh, heal. And so for me, it's been a lot of like young people making drones and, uh, you know, LSD sounding music that uh, it doesn't really, I don't know that they're really taking LSD, but just sort of modern psychedelic folk music. I think that's sort of part of, that's a lot of what I'm listening to now. Like, do you, like who? Oh gosh, like the Powers Rollin duo. <laughs> um, no who's that? You know, the, 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 all the kids of John Fahey, all the stuff that John Fahey was doing that okay. uh, influenced a lot of you. Um, uh, Maria, Ant- Mar- 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 Marisa, Ant- Maria Anderson. Uh, she's got a new record out, really okay. mellow guitar stuff. I-, I love that stuff. I also love Wet Leg. I mean, what, what like is a yeah. yeah, that's a great record. That was yeah. a good moment. Yeah. Do you have kids? Do you listen to I what got, your kids listen to? I got an eighteen-year-old kid. Um, All right. So, do you, you try know, to? Does she kind of like, Dad, turn your shit down? I don't want to listen to it. You know, for whatever reason, she never ever does that. So I feel like, okay, that's the one good if impact i'm having on my daughter is you know my words aren't sinking in at all but my music is sinking in and that's pretty cool uh, that is good but, but if i want to if i want to turn her off something like um <laughs> all i have to do is say wow 
that's really good. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's, <laughs> and that's yeah. like it's dead to me now, Dad. Thanks. No, it's dead. No, my my son. I, well, he's much older than your daughter, but I remember once he was when he still lived at home. He was playing something, and I go in his room. I go, "Wow, this is really good. What is it?" And he turned to me, and goes, uh, "It's your job to know who this is." <laughs> <laughs> Brutal. Jeez. Yeah, he said, oh. and when Cardi B came out, and I was like, critic, because he goes, okay, mom, this is why no one is hiring you to write about hip hop anymore, because nobody oh. cares what Cardi B is saying. They sound, they like what Cardi B is. And when oh, well, God. you know, it's, it's it, this was an event this past weekend. It was an event. It was an event of epic proportions. What? Me Lynn Farmer released oh, her 12th right. album in France. <laughs> RJ, do you know who Mealy Farm is? Do you know who she is? And just say yes. Just not yes. Oh, say yes. Tell me all about it. And she's yes. amazing. <laughs> and she's a French icon. Okay. And the album is fabulous and it's getting great reviews. And it's like half orchestral, half dark electronica. And she's really giving you ethereal vocals and it's gorgeous. Okay. And you know, she's giving me, she's fabulous. And I love me, Lynn. And okay, it's by ethereal it's a, hold vocals. On. You, yeah. Don't come for me, Lynn. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm explaining. Listen, you know how I like my women I in know, pop. I know. I like a I high know. production vocal, a high production budget with a questionable vocal. If you've That's got questionable vocals, but a lot of money, I am here for what I you was, can I give I was going to explain it to our friend RJ, <laughs> that part of the motivation is if you can actually really sing, <laughs> Courtney, you know, he's he would really prefer a lot of... More bells, more whistles. Well, and the new Ways Blood album, and in the darkness, hearts aglow. It's wise blood, re- wise blood. Yeah, it's really, really, yeah. really, 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 really. I really I nice. listened to that on your. The kids like the wise yeah, blood. Yeah, yeah, I will yeah. say, I listened to it. She's obviously listened to a lot of mid career Joni Mitchell. Yeah, you think vocally. so? Yeah, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. vocally, which I'm not mad at because why not? Um, I. I started listening to the Stormzy record. I don't know if I want introspective singy Stormzy. Really? <laughs> I don't know if I want my grime. I don't know if I want my grime Listen, guys to sing. Everybody has their emotional moment where they I have know, to come. The, just, the pandemic I, did the kids in. Everybody first came out saying, let's dance because we've all been locked no, in. I, and I, now we've been a year from really feeling super locked in. And now everybody's back to depression. I just know. I just want it's like, you're, where's the killing and dealing it's like sort of like i don't know if i want like the soft and tender you know uh video five you know i mean i kind of go to that oh i don't know what i've been listening i've just been listening to whoever i've been really kind of just preoccupied Mm -hmm. with other sort of stuff but i will say the world cup the u.s the matches are right now with the the iran right right now right now still it's uh the u.s one and iran zero oh and i've been listening to irene cara's first album um, anyone can see that first album, which was an R and B record, and it was a really yeah. good R and B record. We wow. lost Irene this week, yeah. and I mean, I mean, I loved Irene Cara. Like to me, she was one of those first young stars that I remember who did everything. She could yeah. dance, she could sing, she wrote, and I was obsessed with the movie Sparkle. I was obsessed with her as Coco and Fame. Yeah, I loved, I loved her her David Geffen album as well that that was produced by Giorgio Moroder. Even though she didn't get to write as much there, but you know, and they took her in more of a pop direction. She just was a great vocalist who ran into a lot of really interesting troubles in the, in the music industry and entertainment. And I don't think really 
got her due so much when she but was she alive. she was so much a part of people's lives. That's the thing. That when she died, say, you see how much how people much are talking about how inspirational I will say, though, as someone who was working in, uh, you probably, uh, at the Baby Doll Lounge when mm-hmm. Flashdance came out, mm-hmm. it drove me nuts to have to hear that song um, over and over again um, because mm-hmm. I'm like, this is not what working in a strip club is about. But, <laughs> no, you listen to the song. She was, and also the look. She just had such I mean, a great the motherfucker. Look. Yeah. Let me just yeah. tell you Gorgeous. something. The short bang, the bang. with the yeah. long hair with a crimp in it is iconic. Yeah, <laughs> it's iconic. no, she, she was was great um and and i don't know what else i've been listening to i haven't been listening to well you should go go back back to me lynn because you need to listen to the babyface album it's actually really 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 good okay and i've heard the isley brother record is really good yeah and you know listen he's worked with all these yeah Yes. It is. I, it's like that's the thing. And Babyface, that production, love, he's he's got all I that young, the young female R and B singer singing on oh, different tracks. Oh, this is the record he's doing with like yep. Ella May. Yes, and stuff uh, like it's, that. But the production and the song, it's him. it's very Babyface. That's no, he, I love him. It's almost he's here to remind you. It's like I'm baby remember face. I. This is what <laughs> I do, face. and I can be Babyface again anytime I want. Anytime no, I, mean, I yeah. want. Yeah, Absolutely. I've just decided not to use my super. Oh no, I unabashedly, unironically loved. Uh, as far as I was concerned, LaFace and Flight Time were as important, if not more important, than Sub Pop. Case closed. Yes. Thank yes. <laughs> and on that note, thank you, R.J. Smith, <laughs> oh for coming. Oh, gosh. Pick up R.J.'s book hey, on Chuck Berry. Up. I do this every week. I <laughs> oh. hold up a book that nobody It's available can see. everywhere. He's got, a, awesome. he's got a book on James Brown. He. Listen, guys. You're our new best friend. We need we oh. need to we need we need some justice for the masters and we need to know more about Chuck Berry. So there's a book out right now that's gonna give you everything you need. Fucking pick it up and read people. And <laughs> read. You, read. You, read. and you read. know what it is, kids. You're listening to us every week on the Pantheon Podcast Network. We're here. We love you. We'll see you next week. Remember, follow us in all the places. You know the whole drill by now. Follow Pantheon Podcast for over a gazillion other shows that are on there that are just like us and music, or just everything. We'll see you next week for show number 121. Later, Bye. kids. Bye. Bye. <laughs> It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. 
That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 